Um, today, on this Christmas message, we're going to focus on specifically really one phrase, God with us. God with us, and specifically on the us part of this. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We're actually going to read the entire chapter, the first 17 verses. Oftentimes we skip over. It's a genealogy. Genealogy is very important uh, to the Jews, uh, where you came from, determine what tribe you had, what land you had, if you could be a priest or not. And so v- people were very proud of the fact that they could um, trace their uh, family ancestry. And so that's going to play a big part in this Christmas message. And uh, I want to invite you to stand right now for the reading of God's word. We're going to read all 25 verses. I want you to stick with me, especially on these first 17 verses. I know some of these names will not mean a thing to us, but uh, some of them will at the end of this sermon. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Abinadab, and Abinadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Uh, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the departure to Babylon. Verse 12. And after the depart, deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel, and Sheltiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathen. And Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who's called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to the Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. All right, you made it through that. Now, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with 
child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a, a just and, uh, man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray together. Your name is Jesus, Emmanuel, the one who has saved us from our sins. Lord, many of us are very familiar with the Christmas story, but um, we forget the type of people that Jesus came for. And we are a people that is both faithful and unfaithful. We are a people who are sinners, Lord, saved by grace. And we are a people who... Um, Despite all of our good moral efforts, we are truly outcasts. And so, Lord, may you remind us today of who we are and who Jesus Christ came for. And pray us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you very much. I'll bet you've never had that entire genealogy read to you. But it was very important to the Jews at the time. And there's a reason why this is included in in Matthew. Uh, before we get into that, I just want to make a few comments on Christmas and what it means to us today. I have some gifts. They're not for you. They're illustrations. But these are pretty boxes, aren't they? And I want to just identify a few things that Christmas has come to mean for us. Um, this is a plate of my wife's sourdough bread. She makes sourdough bread. We gave some to the Chamberlains. They're making their own sourdough bread as well. They're starters. Uh, This is some white chocolate pretzels that my wife has made. You guys have been eating some amazing food, I am sure, just like us. That's one of the things that, uh, that we are reminded of at Christmas. We're also reminded of parties, right? Parties. And you guys have been going to Christmas parties with friends, maybe with different relatives and families. We're all in the mood to celebrate. Christmas for us has become about gifts. Darcy gave me this gift. It is like air, puffcorn, pancake flavored something. And I go, how did you know? I've never heard of this. She goes, oh, well, I like them. I was hoping if I gave it to you, then I could have some too. So very smart. I commend her for that. Um, and there's a lot of things that Christmas reminds us of during that time. So those are some lighthearted things. Uh, But there's other things when we think about what's happening in the world during this Christmas season. We can celebrate, we can have fun, that's a blessed thing. But then when we look at at the world and the state of the world, we're pretty distressed. We look at the chaos in the world where people are divided by politics, economics, and race. People are anxious because we're uh, entering or we're really in a recession right now. We go onto our social media accounts and we see all manner of gossip and slander and verbal rancor there that just we feel like we're defiled by having seen that. Uh, We hear news about a geopolitical war on another side of the planet that's distressing, seeing people die. We live in a culture where there's 
chaos in terms of gender identity. We see people being trampled to death just going to a, a concert. Um, there's opiate addictions. I just heard on the news, uh, on the radio the other day, someone saying, hey, don't stay away from fentanyl. And then when we look in our pop culture, we see the occult activity in our fashion, entertainment, and seen as a, gate, it's seen as a gateway to the spiritual, spirituality of our age. And so when we look around in our culture, uh, just what's happening, it, there's a lot to be distressed about, even though a lot of us are celebrating during this Christmas time. And then for us as Christians, you're here at this Christmas service, and there's really two things I think we think about when we come to the Christmas service. One is this scene in a manger, and uh, we just read from Matthew chapter 1 that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. We read that from Matthew chapter 1, and we think about the birth of Jesus Christ during this Christmas season. That's very true. Christmas is our remembrance of when Mary was a virgin, but she conceived through the Holy Spirit, and she bore a son named Jesus Christ. She was a virgin that the Holy Spirit came into her and impregnated her with Jesus Christ so that Jesus Christ was not tainted by the sin of man. She bore a son named Jesus Christ at Christmas. And when he was born, it was a fulfillment of all, a whole group of Old Testament prophecies. We heard one from Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. We read a moment ago. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That is from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Uh, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. The prophet Micah and these prophets, Isaiah, Micah, they are prophesying five, six, seven hundred years before the birth of Jesus. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, the prophet Micah had prophesied about the birth of Christ. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrath, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for you shall come forth for me, from you shall come forth for from me, one who is ruler to be Israel, ruler over Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Isaiah, Micah, other prophecies in Genesis, First Chronicles, Hosea, Ezekiel, Daniel, all prophesied of the coming birth of Christ. And so I think, rightly so, we think about the birth of Christ during Christmas and the miracle of how God entered into human history through Jesus Christ. And that is what we observe. But I think even beyond that, we also think about not just Jesus' birth, but his death on the cross. This is a, a cross that Nathan made for me and my family. I just thought it was beautiful, gave it to us this week. And I looked at it and I said, you know, Christmas is also about the death of Christ for our sins. We just read that a few moments ago from Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, where it says, she, that's Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so we're gathered here today at City Bible Church on this Christmas Sunday. And yes, we have a lot of fun, um, parties, food, gifts. It's a beautiful thing, gathering together with our loved ones. 
it's right that we remember when God entered into the world through Jesus Christ. And it is important that when we think about why Jesus came, that we would not have reconciliation with God. We would not have forgiveness of sins were it not for Jesus Christ, who came to save us from our sins. And I think many of you, like myself, uh, who have been to many Christmas services before, we would all agree that that is the Christmas message, that in essence is what has happened and why we are here. What I want to do today is kind of build off that. And when we look at God with us, Emmanuel with us, I want to focus on the us part of God with us. Um, I have one more gift here. And I think about the us in a couple different ways. Number one is um, the us as family Bible, uh, city Bible church. The us as city Bible church. Here's a bunch of Christmas cards from uh, the brothers and sisters in our church that have sent that to me and Lorraine. Um, this is the Toisons. You have um, you have the Winchies. You have the Manets. I'm not going to show them all to you. There's the Chews. There is us. There's um, a couple more. I just want to highlight uh, that were particularly impressive to me this year. This one was given to, I think, uh, was, give, was actually mailed to us, I believe, by Matt F. And this is his Christmas card. And what was particularly impressive to me about the us of Christmas, and I thought about our church family, is that Matt sent out a Christmas card, and he's not married, doesn't have kids. I never did that as a single person, and it never even occurred to me, but I was so impressed that the quality of this card and the picture, I just thought this is so cool, um, and this is being put in a place of honor on the wall at our house, I can tell you that. But I think my favorite, um, if I could say there's favorites, you're all my favorites, you know, there's, there's no losers here in a Christian church. There's only people who did slightly better than you. That's all this is. That's all this is. <laughs> and this Christmas card, I think, was my, probably my favorite, which is the Kamadas. And I, I know you can't see it, but it's just the blatant honesty. Matt and Allie are just kind of laying there, exhausted with their three kids. And, um, and then they shine up real well on the back of the card. So I just loved the honesty uh, and the beauty of that card. The us that God came to be with is the ones, his redeemed community of faith, our church. That's the us. And even you who we haven't received a Christmas card yet from, uh, that's, that's the us. But who also is the us? The us is also in the genealogy that we just read. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through 17. That was the us, that list of names that we went through is the us that God also came to be with. I think about my own genealogy in my family. This is a picture on our wall in, in the hallway. It's a picture of um, my dad's side of the family. It looks very old, right? This is my grandparents on my father's side, six siblings. These were my aunts and my uncles, and then obviously my father. Um, 
Every one of these people, with the exception of the youngest in this picture, has now passed away. And there's a lot of uh, my family history that I will never know about. I could show you another picture of, this is my grandfather, my great-grandfather. I don't know much about him. It's kind of gone, right? How many of you have a picture of your own um, ancestors, your own family, grandparents, great-grandparents in your own home? How many of you look at that picture and say, you know, I kind of look like my grandmother. I look like my aunt or my uncle. I look, my kids look like their grandparents. And you see a resemblance in what you look like to those who came before you. We all do, right? And in a similar way, In a similar way, when we look at the genealogy here in Matthew chapter 1, these are believers who came before us in ancient times. And as we look at some of these names in a few moments, you're going to find a resemblance of yourself in them. See, God came to be with us. And it's not just us as a church. It's not just for all those who would believe who live, are living now. He came to be with those who came before us in this genealogy. And this is important. It's not important that you can pronounce their names. It's not important necessarily that you know everything there is to know about them. Some of them, we, these names that we just read, we don't know a thing about them. There's no real record. What is important for you today is as we go through some of these names to ask yourself Do I see a spiritual resemblance in my life with some of their lives? We're going to look at three different categories today from these names. And in these three categories, let's go ahead and... uh, Oh, well, we'll go to the first. Perfect. Um, Let's go to this first category of people. And you want to be asking yourself, who are these people? Actually, go back to the previous slide. Oh, yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, we're going to look at three categories, the good, quote, good, end quote, outcast, number two, the unfaithful and the faithful, and number three, the sinners. As we look at this genealogy in Matthew, a couple of um, reflections before we get into these three categories. Matthew's gene- genealogy, he traces the ancestry line downwards. He starts with Abraham, who is the father of the Jewish nation. He was the father of Israel. And Matthew, in Matthew chapter 1 through 17, he follows from, he starts with Abraham and he works his way down through all these generations to Jesus Christ. If you were to look in the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 3, which we won't be able to look at today, Luke traces the genealogy of Jesus, not from uh, past to present, but he traces it from Jesus Christ up to the past, from Jesus to Adam. There's a significance in these genealogies because in Matthew, follow me on this, Matthew follows the genealogy of Jesus from Abraham to Jesus, and that establishes that Jesus was the Messiah through royalty. He was established as, he came from a royal line from David all the way to Joseph, and that establishes Jesus' royal connection to the Davidic dynasty, his royal 
claim. When you look at Mary's genealogy in Luke chapter 3 that goes from Jesus all the way up to Adam, that establishes Jesus' bloodline, not his royal line, but his bloodline from Jesus Christ all the way to the Davidic dynasty. So what do you have? What you have in Jesus Christ through God's sovereignties, you had two individuals, Joseph and Mary, who came together and they were probably like the only ones on planet earth that when Jesus was born to Mary, Jesus the baby could have a legitimate claim, a genealogical claim to say, I am of royal birth from my father and I am of blood. I can trace my bloodline through my mother all the way back to the Davidic dynasty in which it was promised a savior would come. It's fascinating. God's sovereignty, this, this man, Joseph, who may have been like 20 years old, Mary, what, 13, 14 years old, 15 years old, probably pretty young. And, uh, and God used them in a mighty way. So we're going to go to these three categories. And as we look at these three, I'm going to draw out some names. I want you to ask yourself, is this me? Do I see a resemblance in me, in, 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 of myself, with some of these people? And if you do, what is happening is God is saying to you that you are the type of person that Jesus Christ came to save. You are the type of person that God wants to be with. All right, so let's look at the first. Let's go to the good and the outcasts. Joseph and Mary. Joseph and Mary are mentioned in this genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. Who were Joseph and Mary? You know, Joseph is described as a just man, an honorable man in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. Mary, um, the angel said that she was highly favored in the Lord's eyes. And so right there, Joseph, Mary, young man, young girl, they were pretty moral people. You know, these were not criminals. These were not completely evil people. Joseph, a just man, described right there in Scripture. Mary, highly favored in the Lord's eyes. Now, were they sinners? Yes. But they were generally the kind of people who played by the rules, who were probably good children, you know, to their parents. In fact, Mary says in Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 48, that even though, I mean, she could have been very um, prideful of the fact that she, an angel appeared to her to tell her that she would bear the Savior of the world, and that she's, married, you know, she's uh, engaged to a just man. She could have been, been very prideful on that. But it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 48, she said, My soul exalts the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He has had regard on the humble state of his bond slave. Mary knew that even though she was marrying a just man, even though she had been chosen by God, she still needed a savior. She was still a bond slave to the Lord. She was still in a place of a humble state, unlike the Catholic Church that says Mary was a sinless human being. The mother of Jesus, we need to pray to Mary. No, that's not how Mary herself described herself, is it? She saw herself as someone who was blessed and honored, but she still needed a savior. And Joseph did too. They were generally, quote unquote, good people, but they were also outcasts. 
The reason why Mary and Joseph had to go to Bethlehem is because that's where Joseph had to, uh, he was from, and that's where he had to register for the census that Caesar had decreed, probably for tax purposes. And so they had to go all the way back to Bethlehem, and they were outcasts, right? They're riding on this animal. She's pregnant. They don't have much money. They have no like family that they can just stay with there. That's why they had to try and find a place at the inn. And when we look at Joseph and Mary, what you should be asking yourself right now is, do I find some kind of spiritual resemblance between myself and them? Yeah, you're not going to give birth to the Savior of the world. Yeah, you're not going to be the father to Jesus or the stepfather to Jesus. But what you do want to look at is say, you know, um, have I generally lived a pretty decent life? You know, I'm not a bad, you know, criminal, terrible person. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of an outcast, you know, in society or among people. I'm not the most popular person. I'm not the most rich person. I'm just kind of a normal person. And if that is you, you are the type of person that God came for. He didn't just come for the homeless or the, or the most evil, vile person that you can imagine who turns their life to Christ on their deathbed. He came for normal people. And Joseph and Mary, even though they were chosen by God divinely, they were fairly normal people. And sometimes I think we can forget that God is for just the normal person. And if you're here and you're saying, you know what, I I have a career, I have a wife, maybe I have kids, Um, I try and help out people as best as I can. The message that God has for you is that's not enough. Because again, Mary, I'm in a humble state. I'm a bond slave. I need a savior. You need to be like Mary and say, even though maybe I've raised a great family, even though I've lived a pretty decent life, what God is saying to me through this first category of people, Joseph and Mary, is I still need a savior. I'm still of humble and lowly estate. I'm still the bond servant of the Lord, and I'm in bondage to sin and evil and under God's judgment and his wrath. And so even though I'm not divinely chosen like Mary and Joseph, I do need a savior. A second category from this genealogy is there were people who were both faithful and unfaithful. Faithful and unfaithful. There's three names I want to highlight from this genealogy, Abraham, David, and Solomon. And these, these three names are like in the pantheon, so to speak, of Old Testament saints. Everyone who's been a Christian for any period of time knows of the name Abraham, David, and Solomon. These were men that were used mightily by God. And we often think about these three men and think, oh, you know, just only the good about them. We think about their faithfulness, but we forget their unfaithfulness. And as we go through this briefly, you want to be asking yourself, you know, maybe this is me. Maybe even as a believer, God can look at my life and see a lot of faithfulness there. I go to church, try and help people. I pray, I serve, I, I mean, there's a lot, of, there's some faithfulness that I know that is in my life, 
But I also know a lot of unfaithfulness as well as a believer. I know my own dark heart. I know the times that I've kissed Jesus on the mouth but stabbed him in the back. And you might be in that place here today. I'd imagine a lot of us are. See, what we forget is that God came to be with us and the us was also these types of men who are both faithful and unfaithful. Abraham. Yeah, Father Abraham, father of the Jewish faith. As an old man, he gets the call to leave Haram in the Middle East, journey down south into the land of Canaan. Just leaves everything that he knew, takes his wife with him, and and he's walking along the road. Uh, I don't know where we're going and exactly how this is going to work out, but God says that there was a promised land that we were supposed to go to. Let's go, Sarai. And they take off. Credible faith, right? God comes to him in the book of Genesis and says, Through you and Sarai's, Sarai's barren womb, all your descendants will be more than like the stars in the sky. Credible faith, he believed, was willing to sacrifice his son. Abraham is seen. He is revered among Jews. He is revered among Christians as the father of the Jewish nation. And he was faithful. Abraham was also unfaithful, though. There was two different instances in the book of Genesis where Abraham came into contact with Sarai, or later Sarah, his wife. And he saw two different pagan kings on two separate occasions. And he told, Abraham told the king, Sarah is not my wife. And the reason why he lied is because Abraham was scared that the king would kill him because Sarah was beautiful and take Sarah as his own wife. And so he lied and said, Sarah, no, it's not my wife. She's my sister. And he did that on two separate occasions. This amazing man, this father of the faith, incredible faith, just leave everything, go to the promised land, just trust God that he'd never actually met. And he fears man, and he lies twice about his own wife. See, Abraham was faithful, but he was also unfaithful. What about David? I mean, there's a lot you could say about David in the Old Testament, right? David, who God used to conquer Goliath. David, who was described as a man after God's own heart. David, who wrote most of the Psalms in the book of Psalms. David, who was the king over Israel. David, who had military victory after military victory. All of these things, we and more, we associate with David. How this amazing, mighty man of faith, who's incredibly faithful, But sometimes we forget his unfaithfulness. See, that same man who was a man after God's heart and was king and had many mighty victories on the field of battle, the same man who God used to write many of the scriptures, also had many wives and ten concubines as he was king. Concubine is like uh, an adulterous affair. This same David committed adultery, which you know about, with a woman named Bathsheba. Then after she became pregnant, he hatched a plan to take Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, put him on the front of the battlefield, draw his own troops back so that he would be murdered and he died. David orchestrated murder. David was unfaithful towards the end of his life. He, uh, He got prideful. It says that God moved him to do this, but also he chose to do this. 
He looked out at his entire, um, the population of Israel and the people that were fighting for him. And he said, you know what? I'm going to take a census. I want to show how many people are under my command so that I can you know, feel good about all these people who bow down to me. He ordered a census, which he knew was sin. They counted about a, uh, 1.3 million people in the Davidic dynasty. God was upset with him. And God basically came to him and said, you know what? You need to be punished. Your people need to be punished. And he gave him three options of how they were going to be punished. David chose a third option. He said, okay, Lord, you're right. I sinned against you. I took the census. Um, you've given me three options. And the option I'm going to choose is that you have said that you, you, could, you will send a plague upon my people for three days. And I'm going to choose that one as my punishment. 70,000 people died of plague over a three-day period because of David's sinful decision to take a census. Think about that. If you were responsible for the death of 70,000 people, men, women, children, elderly, dying, leaving orphans behind, kids as orphans, and you were responsible for that over a three-day period, what would we think about you? Okay, you probably wouldn't last the day. Someone would assassinate you. And that was David. See, he was both faithful and he was unfaithful. He had one of one of his sons, Absalom, started a civil war against him to kill his own father. Absalom, one of his sons, actually brought David's 10 concubines out into the public eye and had physical relationships with them as to spit in his father's face. David was not necessarily the best father. David was faithful and he was unfaithful. And yet God, we, we think of him as this godly man, which he was, but he's also very flawed. Do you find yourself there? Do you believe that God came to be with you? Not just because of your faithfulness or amidst your faithfulness, but also amidst your unfaithfulness. Solomon, one of David's sons, You know his faithfulness. He asked God for wisdom. God made him the wisest person on planet Earth. God used Solomon to build the temple, which is the house of God, a mighty, amazing place of worship. God used Solomon to write three books in the Old Testament. Solomon was faithful in many ways, but Solomon was also unfaithful. Solomon, this same man, 700 wives, 300 concubines, and most of those thousand women were pagan. They were uh, Sidonians, Moabites, Ammonites. These were women that Solomon married or had as concubines, largely probably for political alliances or largely just because he thought that they were um, beautiful. A thousand women, most of them pagan. Solomon also attempted murder. From one of, he had a, a man underneath his kingdom who had a son named Jeroboam. And at one point, Solomon arranged an assassination attempt against Jeroboam when the future of his kingdom was at stake. Solomon also had a son named Rehoboam who led the two tribes of the divided kingdom of Israel under Judah, who was described as evil, his own son. Solomon was faithful and he was unfaithful. On this Christmas, 
what God wants you to know is that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you can look at your life and say, I have done so many good things in the kingdom in faithfulness. But there are also a lot of things in my past and perhaps even right now of unfaithfulness. Did God really come to be with me? And what God wants you to know is that you don't want to self-eliminate yourself simply focusing on the worst things that have happened. Yes, it's important to recognize our sinfulness. Yes, it's important to recognize our failures. Why? Is because it drives us to Christ. It drives us for our need for his grace and forgiveness and cleansing and eternal life. And there's something very good about being uh, cognizant of the worst, darkest parts of your life especially if it drives you towards God. However, at the same time, I've known many people through the years who've come up to me as a pastor and said, you know what, I just think negative things all the time about myself. I think about my worst moments. I'm always convicting myself. And they literally stay paralyzed as Christians. They don't, they, they, year after year after year goes forward and they don't draw closer to Christ. And I understand we can have difficult times in our lives. That's understandable. But sometimes people get into a place where Satan begins to use the accusations against you and causing you to forget that there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And so I want to ask you here today, are you part of the second category? Will you make an honest evaluation of where you're at with the Lord? I was faithful at one time. Maybe I'm faithful now. There's a lot of junk in my past. There's a lot of unfaithfulness in my life right now. Do you believe that the message that God has for you this Christmas is God is with you through Christ? He has not discarded you if you have not discarded him. And the fact that you're a mix of both faithfulness and unfaithfulness makes you no different than Abraham, David, and Solomon in that respect. And Jesus Christ came for men like that. A third category for today is maybe you're not just kind of a normal quote-unquote good person, an outcast. Maybe you're not faithful and unfaithful. You really identify with this last category. You're a sinner. There's no two ways about it. You've lived your life, you're part, apart from the Lord, You've lived in rebellion towards him. And maybe you don't hate, quote, unquote, hate God, but you're living in rebellion against him, but against all these commands of scripture. They're supposed to drive you to forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And an honest evaluation of your life says, you know, I'm a plain out sinner. I like to call them my faults. I like to call them my shortcomings. I like to call them my areas of growth, like modern day psychology talks about. But the fact is, I'm a sinner. Well, you're in good, good company, if this is you. Because in this genealogy, I'll just point out three women briefly. One of the women that's mentioned in this genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 is a woman named Tamar. Tamar. (coughs) And Tamar was a Gentile. She was not part of the Jewish nation. She was a Gentile from a pagan nation. And Judah, through a series of events, he promised Tamar 
that um, one of his sons would marry her and take care of her um, when her husband died. Judah did not follow through on that. Tamar became impatient. And so at one point, she got Judah drunk, and she had physical relations with him. She got pregnant. She gave birth to two, other, uh, two others who are mentioned here in this genealogy, uh, two babies named Perez and Zerah. That was Tamar, and yet she was brought into the fold of God. What about Rahab? That's another woman mentioned here. You know the, the story of Rahab. When God's people were coming into the promised land, finally at the end of the 40-year journey, they, Joshua sent two spies into the promised land to spy it out. Um, Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho where they were going. Rahab hides these two spies from the Jericho army. She hides them in her, her roof, her attic. They survive. Rahab is spared. Rahab was a prostitute. And yet, through God's grand scheme of things, when Rahab was spared as Israel came in, as God's people came in to take possession of the land in Canaan, through God's sovereign design, she joined God's family, and Rahab became the great, great grandmother of David. The great, great grandmother of David. What about Ruth? She has her own book in the Bible. Ruth uh, was a godly and loving woman. We know that. She went with Naomi, uh, joined, became, God's people became her people. Ruth was a godly and loving woman. But Ruth was a Gentile from the tribe of the Moabites. And if you know Jewish history, you know that the Moabites were probably Israel's greatest enemy, if not one of the great, certainly one of the greatest, if not the greatest of warring tribes that would war against Israel for century after century. And that was where Ruth came from. She was a godly woman, yes, but she would have been considered an out-and-out sinner, being a Gentile of Moabite heritage. And yet you might be here today. And maybe you haven't been to church for a while. Maybe you're just kind of here and um, it's a beautiful thing you are. But you're a sinner. That is God's message to you. And there is no question about that. And it, it really doesn't matter if I know you or not. You may look at me when you hear that said and you think, well, how do you know? You don't know me. You're right. I, I don't know some of you. But God does. And what I'm saying to you is that the message that God has for you in this moment on December 25th, Sunday, is that if you have not yielded your heart to Jesus Christ, you are an out and out sinner and you're destined to hell. That you're defiled in God's eyes under his judgment, under his wrath. Now, you may not be as bad as Tamar. You may not be as bad as Rahab. You may not be, uh, uh, such a, come from such a despicable background like Ruth. Okay, you may not be as bad as them, but you know one thing they did have over you? They cast themselves at the mercy of God. They depended on the grace of God to save them. They look forward to having faith in God who would forgive them and whose grace was greater 
than who they were and their past sins. That is the difference between them and any of us who have never turned our lives over to God. And so, in closing, here today on this Christmas Day, um, let's take a look at these three categories again. And I want you to ask yourselves as you go back, do I find my spiritual resemblance in any one of these three categories? Do I consider myself generally a good person, but I'm kind of an outcast? And maybe I I haven't surrendered my life to the Lord? Perhaps I'm a a believer and, and, and part of my life has been faithful, but it's been unfaithful. Or maybe I've, I've just never yielded my heart to Jesus Christ. Or I walked away from him decades ago. And I need to recognize in this very moment that God is speaking to me. God is offering me this opportunity to come to him. See, this is the power of this genealogy. When you get to know some of these names, you understand that when God came to be with us, it wasn't just the fact that God came to be in the earth. It wasn't just the fact that he entered into human history and in the, in the form of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, as the son of God, was born of a virgin and, and conceived and went on to live a perfect life so then to die for our sins. It's not just that, that God came into this world. It's that he came into this world for us. And who is the us? It's this. It's these types of people. And if you look at this list and you can honestly say, I am one of these people, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has come for you. Because such as this is the kingdom of God. What God wants for you this Christmas, you guys, he doesn't want you to just be grateful of a Christmas holiday. That's a wonderful thing. Family, presents, food, good times. We can, there's a lot that we can be grateful for at Christmas, whether you're a believer or not. But God does not primarily want gratefulness. And he doesn't want you to be like the innkeeper who missed his opportunity to be there for the birth of Christ, which would have probably symbolized him coming to faith. He doesn't want you to reject Christ. And he also doesn't want you to be like Herod, who out and out rejected Christ and hated Christ. That's not what God wants. See, God doesn't want gratitude. He doesn't want uh, rejection. And he doesn't want hatred. What God wants from us is worship. God wants us to be like the angels, the wise men, like Joseph and Mary. Who, when they saw the appearance of Jesus, bowed down and worshipped him as the savior, not just of the world, but the savior of them. And so the Bible in conclusion says this in Romans chapter eight, verse 11. If the spirit of him, that's Jesus Christ, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, dwells with you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. 
This is the message that God wanted you to have this Christmas. He wants you to know that he, God, is with you. If you are a believer, his dwelling in you will not cast you away in your unfaithfulness. If you are an unbeliever, God is around you, but he's not with you. The way to get God to be with you is to say, Lord, I recognize that me being a quote unquote good person is not enough to change my eternal destiny. It's not enough to bring me to be reconciled with you. I am tired, Lord, of being an outcast, not just an outcast in this world, but an outcast from you. And that can change for you in this very day, at this very moment. If you are an unbeliever, you need to recognize that you are a sinner in God's eyes. But God wants to change that. He wants to change you from a sinner to a saint by Jesus Christ coming to be with you through faith. That is the Christmas message, you guys. These presents, these wonderful things, it's a beautiful thing. But ask yourself, is God coming or has he come to be with me? And if you have faith in Christ, the answer is hallelujah to our glorious Savior. Yes. If not, you need to give your life to Christ. And that is the true message of Christmas. Let's pray together. With all heads bowed, I want to ask you to ask yourself, is this me? Am I one of these types of people found in this genealogy that God came to be with? And the good news is that if you found yourself, your spiritual likeness in these genealogies, these men and these women, the answer is yes. God wants to be with you if you want to be with God. And it's better to be with God now than to be without him in eternity. And so I want you to ask yourself, is God with me? Not just through the birth of Christ around me in the past, but is he actually with me through his spirit dwelling in me? The Bible says that anyone who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord and believes in their heart that he's been raised from the dead will be saved. Why not make this day, the day of salvation, say, Lord, I yield my heart to you as Lord to follow you. And I believe you have risen from the dead to give me new life in Christ, to give me forgiveness in Christ, to give me peace with God in Christ. If that is you, come to the Lord, commit yourself to him, and he will be with you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you guys. Let's stand now and let's close in worship.